So thank you, Jesus, uh, that you are always good to us, that you love us unconditionally, that you indeed shower us with amazing grace that just boggles our mind. Thank you, Lord, that we can just um, have peace and rest in the love of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You are the precious people of God. God loves you unconditionally. God will never be angry with you. He will never seek to wreak vengeance on you for something that you've done. Um, we receive the favor and the blessing of God for free because of Jesus Christ. So there is no reason to fear God. We do not fear God. We have boldness when we come to God. Because when we come to God, we find only love because God is love. Amen. Today, we're going to be talking about seeing the face of God. Seeing the face of God. Matthew 5 verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word see is from a Greek word which means, which means to gaze with wide open eyes at something remarkable. So when we look at God, God is remarkable. Why is He remarkable? Because He's a being that is all-powerful, that is almighty, that can do whatever He wants to do. And for a being that has that much power, He chooses to serve us with His life. Because any human being that has, would have the same amount of power that God has would be a dictator, a tyrant. And He would dictate to people how they should live. He would um, rule them with fear. And God is directly the opposite. He's remarkable in the sense that for a being that has all this much power, He sets us free to do whatever we choose to do. And for a being that has this much power, He showers us with His love. He serves us with His life. He hung on a cross to save us. That's how remarkable this God is. And when we look at God, we see how remarkable He is that a holy God loves us unconditionally. Amen. Now, if it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, that raises the question, what does it mean to be pure? So we will answer that question as we go along. What does it mean to be pure? If the pure in heart shall see God, what does it mean to be pure? The heart speaks of what you believe. So there's already a clue to that. Seeing the face of God. Hebrews 3 verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That word depart means to draw away, to instigate, to revolt. So it says, Hebrews 3 is a warning. It says, take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart, an evil belief system of unbelief in departing from the living God in drawing away from the living God, in drawing away from the love of God, by instigating to a revolt. By, uh, how, how is the revolt against the love of God instigated today? By people preaching an incorrect message about the character of God. Amen. And that's instigating revolt against the character of God, against the love of God. Now, unbelief is to reject Christ as the Savior of people. It is the rejection of God's law. So unbelief is to reject the work that Jesus has done on the cross and to reject the law of God. 
Now, as we said a couple of weeks ago, what is the law of God? John 14, 19, Jesus speaking, he says, because I live, you shall live also. So Jesus says, because I live, you will have life. And that's the law of God, because Jesus lives, and as we believe in Jesus, we will have life. That's the law of God. The same is said in uh, John 6:29, where Jesus says, the work that God requires is that you will believe in him. Believe in him whom he has sent, meaning Jesus. That is the law of God. And also in Romans 8 verse 2, it says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So the law of God, to depart from the law of God is not to believe in Jesus Christ. That is what it means to depart from the law of God. Now, it says, Hebrews 3 verse 12, it says, Unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, God is a living God. Because God is alive and He is God, life is only found in God. Yes, sir. There is no other place to find life except in God. And if God says the law of life is in Jesus Christ, that is the law of life. That is the law of God. We will not find life anywhere else. We will not find life in trying to do the good thing. We will not, try to find, we will not find life in believing some radical philosophy by a Hindu shaman that sat on a mountain in a cave somewhere. That's, we won't find life in that. We will find life only in Jesus Christ. And that's the law of God. Because God is a living God and life is only found in Him. And if God says, this is the law of life, then this is the law of life. If Jesus is the law of life, there is no other law to find life. There is no other way to find life but in Jesus Christ. And that is a a very uh, particular law of God. God was very specific when He made His law. When God said, life is in my Son, He was very specific about that because there is no other way to find life. To depart from the living God is to reject the authority of the life that is found only in God. And I said that already, life is found only in obedience to his very particular law. Amen. So, if I depart from the law of God, which is the law of life in Jesus Christ, I will die. There is no other way to find life. And scripture clearly warns us about the fact that we should not depart from the law of God. We should not depart from abiding in Jesus Christ. We should not depart from abiding in the unconditional love of God. If, if God chooses to give us His unconditional love, let us accept that. Let us not reject that by believing something else. Now, a couple of years ago, Berti uh, preached a short series on the enemies of grace. <clears throat> it's on his website. If you go onto his website, you can listen to what he preached. Basically what he was saying in that series is there are two enemies of grace. The one being law, which is the knowledge of good and evil, and the other one being universalism. Now we know what the law says. The law says I will be saved by what I do. I trust in my own ability to be saved and my salvation will be lost. We know the law very well. Most of us who sit here today come from a system of law where we were harassed by laws, harassed by labors trying to please God. People preaching to us that we have to do the right thing to receive blessing and life from God. That is the law, one of the enemies of grace. 
What does universalism say? Universalism says that faith in Jesus is not required to be saved. Effectively saying that there is nothing to be saved from. That is what universalism says. Now, as well as we know the law, universalism is veiled behind love. The message that universalism preaches is saying that you do not need faith to be saved, and it's veiled in love. So it's more difficult to discern. The law is very easy to discern because it's an harassment, it's a mistreatment of people. It is um, uh, condemning people. It is making people not feel good enough. But universalism, on the other hand, is veiled in love. But it preaches that faith is not necessary for salvation, effectively saying that there's nothing to be saved from. Now, Satan is an angel of light. Anything that is the enemies of grace, which is the enemies of the law of God, comes directly from Satan. Now, the law comes from Satan, and universalism, the doctrine of universalism, comes from Satan. Because Satan is an angel of light. He can project himself as, an angel, as light, as something that is good. And universalism might seem good, because it's veiled in love. But it's a lie from the pit of hell. Now, why did Bertie preach those messages? Why did he preach it? 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So, the reason why I preach that is out of concern for people. So, if we stand here and we warn people about the enemies of grace, it is out of concern for people. And as we know the law very well, universalism is uh, veiled and not that easy, easily con uh, discerned. Um, and people are tricked into believing a doctrine of universalism. And when we preach against this, it is to warn people because we have a concern for people. Because we know that a very particular law of God says that life is only found in faith in Jesus Christ. There is no life outside of faith in Jesus Christ. And someone who preaches a doctrine contrary to that is a false prophet. Yes, sir. Someone who preaches a doctrine contrary to that is an antichrist. And we warn people about that. So we warn people about universalism, which says faith is not required. Uh, a good friend of mine said this week, he said the law is not of faith. That's what Galatians 3 verse 12 says. So universalism is the ultimate of law. If the law is not of faith... And universalism says faith is not required to be saved. It is the ultimate of law. It is a demonic doctrine from the pit of hell. What does universalism say? Universalism says there is no hell. There is no hell. It's veiled in love. There is no hell. Let me tell you where hell comes from. Hell started when Satan fell. That's when hell started. Satan is an eternal being. He is a fallen angel. When he fell, where would a, a, a fallen eternal being live? He would live apart from God. Because he cannot be in the presence of God. An angel cannot be saved. An angel cannot have faith unto salvation. So if an angel who is an eternal being falls from the presence of God, where will he live? Apart from the presence of God. He will live in hell. Hell is for Satan to live for all eternity. 
and he will live there for all eternity. And there is a hell. And in the very same way, um, if we do not choose to believe in the life of Jesus Christ, who is seen as my life, if I reject the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I do not have the life of God within me. I'm effectively choosing to live separate from God and I will find myself for eternity in that hell, in that separation from God when God is revealed at the end of time. That is what hell is. It is a very real place. If it's not a real place, why would Jesus mention it? But we do not preach hell to get people to uh, repent. We preach on the goodness of God. And as the goodness of God is preached, people repent from not believing in Jesus Christ into a place where they believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we preach on the goodness of God. We reveal to people the unconditional love of God. But there is a hell. But universalism will say there is no hell. They will also say there is no sin. That is why John wrote the book of 1 John. Bertie preached about it a couple of months ago, declaring what sin is. John wrote that book because people were saying there is no sin. Effectively saying because there is no sin, there was no reason for Christ to die. Thus nullifying and degrading the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is what universalism will do. In the veil of love. They will say that Christ was slain before the foundation of the world. Meaning that Jesus was slain before creation happened. Therefore there is no sin. Because Jesus had been slain before creation happened. Now that is not true. Because in the fullness of time, Jesus came and he hung on a cross. And he hung on that cross because there was sin on the planet. It's as simple as that. Now, universalism will attack every foundation of faith. It will attack the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born from a virgin. That will be attacked. What will be attacked is that Jesus was born into a human body. Jesus was born into a human body. He physically walked upon this earth. People touched him. People saw him. People heard him speaking. And in that physical body, he will come again at the end of time. But universalism will attack even that. They will say that the sacrifice of Jesus was not really necessary. There's nothing that we needed saving from. <clears throat> It's a laughable doctrine, brother. Correct. It is. It is laughable. Saying that it was not necessary really for Christ to die on the cross. That the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross really did not accomplish anything. That it wasn't necessary because there was no sin on the planet. That's untrue. And then they will say that the Bible is inaccurate and not to be trusted. Now remember, what we are talking about is seeing the face of God. And we, was, we are saying that only the pure in heart will see God. Now the pure in heart means to have a pure belief system. And the law and universalism pollutes what we believe. And it will draw us away into a place where we can no longer see the face of God. That's why it's important to know the dangers that are out there, demonic doctrines that are thrown in front of people every single day. And in attacking all these things, universalism incites revolt against the particular law of God, which is life in Jesus through faith. And what happens is, people start doubting in the, sac in, 
in the sacrifice in the completed work of Jesus Christ and they stop believing in that and what happens? They lose their salvation because salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, universalism says that the Bible is inaccurate and not to be trusted. Now let me say this to start off with. Those born of Moses' law elevates holy scriptures to the level of God, whether they be Muslim or Christian. Everyone born of law elevates holy scriptures, whether it be the Bible or the Quran, to the level of God. And they worship scripture, and that scripture replaces a relationship with Jesus Christ or a relationship with God. Do you know what Muslims believe? Muslims believe if you take the Quran and you throw it on the ground, you are punishable by death. The Quran is not allowed to touch the ground. If you tear a page out of the Quran, they will kill you. That's what I believe. They are born of law. In the very same way, there are Christians who are born of law, and they elevate the Bible, the Scripture, to the level of God. So that is not what we advocate. But people think if you say that the Bible is accurate and inspired by God, that you are elevating the Bible to the level of God, and that's not what we are doing. We are not elevating the Bible to the level of God. Neither does the Bible replace the relationship with Jesus Christ. But the Bible, the accuracy of the Bible cannot be disputed. Nor can be disputed that it is inspired by God. Because the very moment that you attack the accuracy of the Bible, you attack the very foundation and the authority of doctrine. Because if the Bible is not accurate, is the writings of Paul not accurate then? We'll look at that as we go along. And if we question the accuracy of the Bible, we incite the revolt against the very law of life that is in Jesus Christ. Because the doctrine of the law of life that is in Jesus Christ is found in the Bible. I, I, I spoke to Bertie the other day and he said, if you question the accuracy of the Bible, it's like kicking your own mother in the stomach. Because the doctrine that we believed in originated from the Bible. So we go back and kick that in the stomach. But today it's happening more and more. If you listen to what people are saying around you, more and more the accuracy of Scripture is questioned. From pulpits, people attack the accuracy of Scripture. Now, why are they doing that? Because they're preaching a doctrine that is contrary to Scripture. That's what they are doing. Now, Jesus said, this is the words of Jesus Christ, who is the Holy Son of God. Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus speaking, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the law of Moses, all the prophets, the Psalms, speak of me. So, if the Bible is inaccurate and it speaks of Jesus Christ, then perhaps it's saying inaccurate things of Jesus Christ. And that is not true. Now, we've preached on the Aleph Tav a couple of times uh, in this church. The Aleph Tav, if you, if you read the King James Bible with the Strong's numbers, you'll find the Aleph Tav. It's the Hebrew character in Strong's. It's labeled Hebrew 853. It's the Aleph Tav. It's the, Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In Greek, it's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
The picture value of olive is an ox. The picture value of tav is a cross. Speaking of the sacrifice upon the cross. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, if you read the King James of the Strong's Numbers, you will find that olive tav character 7,302 times in the Old Testament. It is the character, the Hebrew word, that occurs the most in the Old Testament. There is no other word in the Old Testament that occurs more than 7,302 times. It is a word that cannot be translated into English. The definition, the meaning of that word is it's a sign, an omen of a future event, prophesying of Jesus Christ. Now, if the Bible is inaccurate, how did the Aleph Tav character just happen to find itself in the Scripture 7,302 times? Because Scripture, all the law and the prophets speak of Jesus Christ. People say that the Bible has been rewritten and translated so many times that it's lost its accuracy. If it's lost its accuracy, why did it not lose the Aleph Tav? Now, if we cannot see that the Aleph Tav is a prophetic character speaking of Jesus Christ, we are blinded by law. Now, what is very interesting, if you take seven, seven is the perfect number. It speaks of perfection. If you take three plus two, it's five. Five is the number of grace. So it's the perfection of grace. Even if you take seven, which is a perfect number, and you take three multiplied by two, you get six, which speaks of works. Perfect work. Speaking of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus is a perfect work. Even if you take seven plus three plus two, you get twelve, speaking of all the nations of this planet. Saying that the work of Jesus was for everyone on this planet. That is what is hidden in the Aleph Tav. Let me show you a place in Scripture where you see the Aleph Tav. Deuteronomy 5 verse 1. Moses speaking to Israel. He says, Hero Israel, Aleph Tav, who is Jesus, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. So here Moses was continuing and declaring to the people his law, the Mosaic law. And even before, as, as that law was written down, it was prophesying of Jesus Christ. Because it was saying, I will now speak these words to you with Jesus Christ. Prophesying that Jesus would come and fulfill that law. Prophesying that that law was written for Jesus to fulfill. Yes. That is found in the Bible. Now if the Bible is inaccurate, what do we do with this? Is this inaccurate? No, it's not inaccurate because the law was written for Jesus Christ and this is found in the Bible. Exodus 20 verse 1, And God speaking, Jesus, who is all these words saying, and God goes on and He declares the law unto Moses, effectively saying that Jesus is encapsulated in those Ten Commandments. Because it was written down for Jesus to fulfill and saying that this law is written for Jesus. That's how accurate scripture is. It's even, let me give you another example. Exodus 20 verse 25. The Aleph Tav is nowhere in this verse, but the gospel is in this verse. Exodus 20 verse 25. And if you will make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you lift up your tool upon it, you have polluted it. Now that's the gospel. The altar speaks of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is saying, 
if you build an altar and you take a stone and you beat it with a hammer and a chisel, you have polluted the altar, saying that you cannot bring your work to the sacrifice. Now that is the gospel of Jesus Christ in Exodus 20 verse 25. If the Bible is inaccurate, what do we say of this verse? The Bible already declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ thousands of years before Christ was even born. This is a book that was supposedly rewritten so many times that it has lost all its credibility. That is what people will say. Now, just calm down a little bit. <laughs> now, Paul used the writings of the law and the prophets to declare the authority of Jesus and to explain the doctrine of grace. Because people say that Paul didn't even have a Bible. He just had this warm, fuzzy relationship. And he came up with the doctrine of grace. No, Paul, Jesus Christ appeared to Paul. And in that appearing to Paul, Jesus explained the doctrine of grace to Paul. And Paul understood it. Why? Because he had studied for years the law and the prophets. Paul knew exactly every detail that was written down in the law and the prophets. That's why he was able to understand what Jesus was proclaiming to him. When you look at the other disciples, they struggled to understand. Because they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. Did they have the grounding of the law and the prophets that Paul had? No, they did not. They did not. That is why Paul understood the doctrine of grace better than anyone else. Because he could see it written down in the law and the prophets. And Paul used the writings of the law and the prophets to explain the doctrine of grace. Amen. So the doctrine of grace that says that Jesus is the only sacrifice that can save us comes from the law and the prophets. So if I question the accuracy of scripture... I question the very doctrine of grace. It's as simple as that. Now, if the Bible is inaccurate, then perhaps the doctrine of grace as explained by Paul is not correct. Now, if, if you read, Paul used Isaiah to write the book of Romans. So if the Bible is incorrect, perhaps the book of Romans is incorrect. But if Isaiah is not incorrect, then the book of Romans is correct. And the book of Romans is correct. Because the book of Isaiah is accurate and correct. The accuracy of the Bible. If the Bible is inaccurate, how could it accurately predict the birth of Jesus? It predicted the place. It predicted the circumstances. It predicted the actions of Herod. When Herod killed all the children, all the babies that had been born in approximately the same time as Jesus Christ. That had been predicted thousands of years before that occurrence. The Bible predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It predicted that. It predicted that, that he would be born in a lowly state. The king of the universe. If the Bible is inaccurate, how could it do that? The Bible accurately predicted how Jesus would die. His burial place, the number of days he would spend in the grave, and his rising from that grave. 
The Bible predicted that Jesus would be scourged, that he would be afflicted, that he would be crucified. It even predicted that he would be buried in the grave of a rich man, which is exactly what happened. It predicted that he would be in that grave for three days. And it predicted that he would rise from that grave thousands of years before the occurrence of those very same facts. Now, the Bible accurately predicted that God's Holy Spirit would be poured out from on high and dwell in the bodies of people. That was unthinkable in those days. But the scripture accurately predicted that. It accurately predicted what we are seeing today. If it's inaccurate, how could it do that? It accurately predicted that God would replace the law of Moses with his new law of faith in Jesus Christ. He predicted that the law of Moses would be replaced by a new law. Also unthinkable in those days, there was only the law. How could the Bible accurately predict this and more? Why? Because it's divinely inspired. Scripture is divinely inspired. It's not inaccurate. We do not worship the Bible, we do not put it on the same level as God, but we say it's accurate. The comments that people are making about the Bible is, is shocking. It's just shocking. And if you stand up and say, speak against those comments, then you are branded, I don't know what. Yeah. Now, the accuracy of the Bible, an attack on the accuracy of the Bible is a demonic strategy. Why? Because it's meant to support a demonic doctrine, which is universalism. Now, the doctrine of universalism has no foundation in Scripture. Saying that faith is not required to be saved has no foundation in Scripture. So people who declare a doctrine of universalism have to do one of two things. What do they have to do? They have to discredit the Bible, saying it's not accurate, or they have to translate it to eliminate all references of faith. That is the two things that people who declare a doctrine of universalism can do. Because their doctrine is in direct opposition to Scripture, they either have to say Scripture is inaccurate, it's false, or they have to translate it so that all references of faith is excluded. Now, this is a demonic doctrine. It's from the pit of hell. What does uh, Jesus say in Matthew 23:15? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now, this is not just speaking of people believing in the Mosaic law. It is speaking of any doctrine that is proclaimed contrary to the law of life that is found in faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone proclaiming that doctrine and making disciples of that doctrine is making people twice the hell, the son of hell that they are themselves. It's as simple as that.
if we say that the law of God is a very particular law, that life is only found in Jesus Christ, people say you are excluding, you are an exclusionist. You exclude other people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. But we know that life is only found in God. And the law of life that God has laid down, saying that it's only found in Jesus Christ, is God urging people through His love to come and find life which He knows is only in Him. Amen. It's life is found only in God. It's not found anywhere else. Back to the beginning. Matthew 5 verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure? 1 John 3 verse 1. You see what we are doing? We are reading scripture and explaining scripture. Now if any question mark had been placed by me on the accuracy of scripture, I would not be able to do this. There would be no authority of doctrine today in this place. Because if I attack the accuracy of doctrine, I attack the very thing that I stand upon. I stand upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. But my understanding of that rock, of the work of Jesus, is found in scripture. So if I attack scripture, I attack my very understanding that keeps me standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And I will topple off that rock. 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we should be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Now the first thing is, behold what manner of love God has freely given to us. The word bestowed means freely given. It's given for free. The love of God given for free to people Accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you are the children of God, the people of God, as we accept His love urging us to come to Him. And forever with God, we will deal with a being who loves us unconditionally, who gives us His quality of life for free, who gives us eternal life, which cannot be destroyed because He loves us. When God comes again, I will receive eternal life into this body, and this body will not be able to be destroyed for all eternity. That is what the love of God gives to us for free. Now, John, 1 John 3 verse 2, it says, But we know that when God shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That means the only way to see God face to face is to be like Him. Because scripture says God is a consuming fire. God is not a consuming fire because he's angry at sin. God is a consuming fire because that's who he is. He is a consuming fire. Because God is a consuming fire, nothing can stand in his presence except his own life. So if we want to see God from face to face, we have to contain his life within this vessel. 
I have to be like God to be able to see Him face to face. And the only way to be like God is to contain His Spirit in the temple of my body. The only way for me to see God face to face when He returns is to be like Him. And the only way to be like Him is to contain His Spirit, His life within my body. And the only way to contain His Spirit within the temple of my body is through faith in Jesus' completed work. There is no other way. Why is there no other way? Because God said it. Because God said it. And that's the law of God. So, the only way that I can stand in the presence of God, seeing Him face to face, is to be like Him. The only way that I can be like Him is to contain His Spirit within my body. And the only way to contain His Spirit within my body is to have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. Not adding anything to the completed work of Jesus Christ. Not picking up my tools to contribute to the building of the altar. Faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that I can see God face to face. That is the only way. Because the Spirit deposits the seed of divinity within my body. As I have faith in Jesus' completed work, as the Spirit dwells within me, I have the seed of eternity, the seed of divinity contained within this vessel. And as I die, as my body is sown in the earth, an eternal being will arise out of that dust. That is the truth. One John three verse three, and every man that has this hope in him, what hope that we will see God face to face, that we will be revealed to be just like God when He comes again, and as we behold the being of consuming fire, we find that we are like Him when He is revealed. And as we have this hope, we purify ourselves even as He is pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5 verse 8, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure? What does it mean to be pure in heart? To reject demonic false doctrines and not to believe it. I do not believe in doing something to be saved. Neither do I believe that I do not have to have faith in anything to be saved. Both of those doctrines are demonic. To purify myself means to abide in Jesus' completed work. To abide in the vine. As I abide in the vine, as John 15 says, I purify myself. I purify myself by refusing to believe anything that is contrary to the doctrine of grace as Paul explained it to be. By not believing in any doctrine of law or universalism which means to agree with God. I, I stay pure, I keep myself pure by agreeing with God. God says, you are holy just by believing in my Son. I give you holiness for free. Yes, Lord, I agree. I give you blessings for free as you abide in my Son. Yes, Lord, I agree. I give you eternal life, the quality of my life for free as you abide in my Son. Yes, Lord, I agree. And we will have a pure faith, a pure heart. I will protect my heart by believing in what God says, by agreeing with God. You know, 
where the doctrine of universalism comes from, it's not a new doctrine. It's been around for thousands of years. It contains elements of New Age, Hinduism, Buddhism. It it's contains elements of some Greek philosopher who came up with some doctrine of fantasy hundreds of years ago, and people base their doctrine and their belief on that and say the Bible is inaccurate. It just boggles the mind. It is crazy. No, we purify ourselves by believing what God says and by agreeing with Him. Seeing the face of God. We're closing off. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49 and verse 50. And we, as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. So, as we walk in this realm, this temporary realm, we have inherited an earthly physical body that will decay and die. But in the very same way, we will inherit a heavenly body from who? From God who is our Father. And as we die, or as we are still alive as He comes again, our bodies will be transformed into a, in, in the twinkling of an eye, and this earthly, this corruptible will be covered in the heavenly and the incorruptible. And we will be like Him and we will see Him face to face as we purify ourselves and believe in His Son. Verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Flesh and blood, speaking of fleshly labors, any fleshly labor, any uh, labor that I want to do to obtain blessing from God, if I try to do that, I will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what it also means is that there is nothing good in this body that can cause this body to inherit eternity. So if I say that I do not need to have faith to inherit the kingdom of God, what is there in this body that can cause this body to inherit the kingdom of God? Nothing. What needs to be in this body is the spirit, the life of God. And the only way that that can happen is through faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ. So flesh and blood, the void of the life of God, which is only found in Jesus Christ through faith in Him, any flesh and blood that is devoid of that faith will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that is the message that we proclaim. And as we proclaim it, we proclaim the goodness of God. Because God is not an exclusionist. He has included all peoples in the work of Jesus Christ. And His invitation is to all peoples to receive His life for free. But we have the choice to be wanted or not. And God is a good God. You know, um, people want to believe that God is good, that He's love. Then they read Scripture, and Scripture seems to say something to them that uh, speaks to the contrary. It says maybe they read it, they understand that God is angry. Then they come up with some fancy doctrine saying that the Bible is incorrect. If I understand that God is unconditional love, and His goodness 
unconditionally good towards all people. I will understand what Scripture is saying. As I understand where the law comes from that it started in the garden. Look, I mean, um, God sent fire from heaven and he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. That sounds terrible. It is terrible. People destroyed by fire falling from the sky. Now, if people want to believe that God is a God of love, they will say, but that, that could not be correct. The Bible is incorrect in saying that there's got to be some other explanation for what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. But as we understand, what we have to understand is that Adam cursed the planet in the garden. When Adam chose to believe in a system of law, he cursed the whole planet. And he cursed everyone who was born after him. We have to understand that. Now, <clears throat> God is the highest authority that there is. There is no higher authority than God. And God rules based on a law that's in place. So if Adam put a law in place that says that people have to be judged based on their works, what will the highest authority do? You will have to rule based on that law. God did not want to do that. That's why he brought in a new law, which is the law of life in Jesus Christ. But before Jesus came, everyone was judged on the law that Adam implemented in the garden. You either do the right thing or you die. It's not God who destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the law that Adam put in place. And the very same thing with the flood of Noah. People being judged by a law that says you do the right thing or you die. Now God hated that law so much that He died to bring in a new law. It's not God. It's the law that Adam implemented. But then we say scripture is incorrect because we do not understand what was happening in the Old Testament. But if Paul could use the Old Testament to proclaim the doctrine of grace, we have to understand what the Old Testament is saying. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that indeed we can protect our hearts by protecting what we believe. Thank you, Jesus, and we know that we will be like you, that we will see you face to face. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much because you first loved us. And we love people, Lord, and we warn them, saying that there is only one way to have life, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you read, if you read 1 John, Paul, uh, John talks about murdering people. People are murdered every day around us as they are persuaded not to believe in Jesus Christ. It's murdering people. And if we keep quiet, we condone the murder of people, yes. the destruction of people. And we will not keep quiet. Amen. Be blessed.